done. And I also want to uh, say a welcome back to uh, nearly 40 or so of our folks who were gone to Israel over the last two weeks. And um, I know that they got back late Friday night and many of them are jet lagged. Some of them are in the choir. And so if you are sitting next to one of them who may look like they're going to fall asleep, please elbow them and keep them awake. Okay. Does that sound good? Because it's super embarrassing if you go to sleep in the middle of the sermon. All right. So today, we could look at any of the Gospels when it comes to telling of Easter. And today, what we've decided is we're going to look at the Gospel of John. So I invite you to enter into this story, whether for the first time or for the 1,000th time, and hear what it is that the Lord might say to us today. John writes this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather on this Easter morning with the sun shining as a sign of the celebration that your son has been raised from the dead. And I pray that this morning you would speak to each one here 
Whatever word it is that they need to hear from you, I pray that the Spirit would open up their ears, their eyes, their hearts, and their minds to you. And that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So since I've been a pastor now for about a decade and a half, I have had the great privilege of officiating a lot of weddings. I love officiating weddings. They are probably, uh, they, they, they give me some of the most uh, fun stories that I have. Because weddings bring out the best and the worst in people. I mean, you, you just think about it. You have this great kind of combination. You have a lifelong commitment that people are about to make. You have the pressure of every single little intricate detail. You tend to have a fair amount of money, right? And then you throw into all of that family dysfunction. It is awesome to watch, especially when you're one step removed, right? It's, it's somewhat enjoyable. So I love weddings. Some of you here, I have married. It's been great. No dysfunction in any of your families, just other families. I like almost every aspect of of the whole wedding experience. There's just one that I really do not look, that I never look forward to. And that is kind of the obligatory toasts. What I have frequently experienced is that if you give someone a microphone and you say go, you are inviting an incredible amount of awkwardness. Have any of you ever experienced that? You've probably given one of those awkward toasts. Now, I don't think it should actually be that difficult to give a toast. So I'm going to give you, this is all free of charge, two tips today, two tips before you, if you happen to be called to give a toast somewhat soon. First is write it out. I know. You think you're good. You think you're smart and you can just go and wing it and it's going to be amazing. It is not going to be amazing. It is going to be cringe worthy. I have seen people try to wing it. Do not wing it. Write it out. You are not the exception. Secondly, and perhaps even more critically, When someone asks you to give a toast for them, they want you to speak well of them. (laughs) Of their past, of the relationship that you have with them. I know that seems abundantly obvious, but you would be surprised. I have seen an incredibly amount of painful toast where a maid of honor or best man has decided that this would be the best venue to share inappropriate things that the bride or groom has done in the past. No one, especially the parents who are more than likely footing the bill for this wedding, none of them want to hear about some epic party that you threw five years ago. They don't want to hear about past boyfriends or girlfriends. They don't want to hear any of those things. I was at one wedding where the bridesmaid was talking about how, or the maid of honor was talking about how the bride had, had threatened to burn her house down. And everyone was just nervously laughing and praying that God would end it all soon. 
So let me say it one more time in case I am not abundantly clear. When people come to a celebratory event, like a wedding, everyone, the bride, the groom, the family, the friends, the wait staff, and especially the pastor, wants you to only speak good things which make us happy and joyful. Some of you thought you would learn nothing this morning, didn't you? Now, I bring all of that up this very morning because I want to fully acknowledge from the beginning of this sermon that I am not heeding my own advice today. I know we aren't doing a toast or a wedding today, but we are all here in order to celebrate what it means that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I know that we should speak only, it seems at this time, of things that are good and rosy and joyful. We all got dressed up, right? We all did our hair. Some of us brushed our teeth. We've done all these things because we know this is a big deal. You know, here at ZPC, we planted tulips earlier this week. We have tulips all around. You can probably smell them. We, uh, you know, we set out extra chairs. We have even more food than usual. We've done all those things because we are ready to celebrate the resurrected Lord. In many ways, in most ways, a good preacher would be wise enough to not try to get cute or creative. Just preach the resurrection and get out of the way. I hate having the choir behind me. (laughs) We long to come in to celebrate and to go out and to dine on candy and Cadbury eggs. And we will get there, I promise. But not too quickly. You see, what got me a bit into trouble this week is that I kept being disturbed by the fact that if the reason why we have gathered this morning in order to celebrate and talk about Easter, then we should probably pay attention to the whole scripture passage that tells us about Easter day. And when you begin to look at this passage, you realize that the Easter story is not just about the resurrected Savior, though it certainly is about that. But it's also about a group of people, a group of disciples who are confused and who are grieving and who are struggling with trying to understand what in the world is happening And if we want to be true to Easter, we can't just skip over all of the beginning and all of the middle to get to the exciting end. If we want to look at the Easter story with some integrity, then we have to look at the whole story. Otherwise, we may just miss out on the meaning of Easter altogether. According to John, Easter doesn't start with bright lights or a risen savior. It begins with a grieving woman headed off to the cemetery in the darkness because she cannot stay away any longer. 
Her grief is pulling her or pushing her or dragging her toward the tomb where Jesus lay. She walks amongst the dead. Perhaps even following the exact route that Jesus had followed or been carried just two days previous. The darkness of the night probably paling in comparison to the nightfall that she feels within her. She cares not that she is unable to see the darkness because even if she was able to see, she could think of no other place where she could go. But then she arrives at the tomb and the stone that separates the living from the dead has been removed. Surprisingly enough, perhaps for the very first time in a few days, she feels some amount of clarity, not about what has happened, but about what she must now do. And so in a way, very unlike her careful dirge-like cadence that carried her to the tomb, she begins to run. She runs and she runs to find the two people that she can trust. Peter And another disciple whom John oftentimes calls the disciple whom Jesus loved. Some would say maybe even John himself. In Mary's mind, there is little question as to what happened. Her savior, Jesus, has been stolen. And if nothing else, at least this missing person has given her something real to do something to distance herself from the pain and the grief and the questions. The endless pain and grief and questions. It seems that perhaps this is also true for the other two disciples because in a moment they begin to run. One wonders whether they are running more away from their own pain and grief or if they're running faster to get to the tomb. It's been pointed out that in these two verses, there is more running than in all of the other gospels combined. Craig Barnes says, this is still true, that when disciples can't seem to find Jesus, we tend to run around a lot. They reach the tomb finally, the blue ribbon runner, he steps aside so that Peter can lumber right through into the empty chamber. This, of course, is much like Peter. Peter is never going to be the sort to just kind of poke his head through an opening and see if anything is going on. Peter dives right in, no matter what, for good, bad, and ugly. Peter always gives it his all. He looks in. He finds no one there, just linen wrappings and the cloth that had been laid on Jesus' head. And both of them, it seems, had been folded or rolled up nice and neatly. It is a thief, if it is, one that you would want to invite over for Easter brunch. For clearly, after they have cleaned you out, they would at least clean up after themselves. But here... John leaves us wanting for more because he does not tell us what Peter is thinking. He doesn't tell us what Peter is feeling. All he tells us is that Peter started making his way home. Meanwhile, 
The other disciple, well, we're told by John that he believes, which is excellent except for the fact that we have no idea what he believes in. We don't know if he believes that Jesus has been raised from the dead or if he believes that what Mary said is true and Jesus had been stolen or if he simply believes that he has no idea what to believe. John leaves us as the onlookers confused, which is perhaps exactly what he is wanting to do. And so the disciple now joins Peter to that familiar journey home. You know this. When life doesn't make sense, when the world seems to be swirling, all we want to do is go home. And as they reach the horizon in the distance to where we can no longer see them, all of a sudden, Mary appears again. It's almost as if we had forgotten about Mary. Maybe the disciples had forgotten about Mary, but Mary was there amidst the running and the well-placed linens and the empty tomb. Mary is right there because she does not know which way to go. And even if she knew which way to go, she did not have the energy to actually get there. And so she simply stands there and weeps. She weeps because she doesn't know what has happened. She weeps because she does know what has happened. She weeps because she knows that she will never understand what is happening. John doesn't tell us why exactly it is that she was weeping, but he need not. We know why she weeps. Because most of us know why it is that we weep. Someone has said, Mary is at once every single one of us and the whole lot of us at the exact same time. We know pain. We know brokenness. We know death. We know why Mary weeps. Perhaps Mary believes that if she sits there and she weeps for long enough, then everything will go back to the way it once was. Finally, though, she decides to look into the tomb. And when she does, she sees two people or two beings or two somethings. She doesn't know exactly what it is, but it appears at least that the angels were not shining brightly. They did not have booming voices as we oftentimes may expect. Or maybe they were both bright and booming, but her grief as it so often does, muted all color into a monotonous gray. Why are you weeping, she asked, or they ask. Because they've stolen my Lord, she said. Because they've stolen my Lord. Did you hear those last two words? That even though it appears to her that Jesus is dead, even though it seems to her that he has been stolen, that she continues to call 
him her Lord, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Amidst the darkness and despair, it is perhaps the first glimpse of dawn, the first rays of a new day, a new Easter morning. It seems far from just coincidence that it is immediately after this whispered proclamation of faith that the living Jesus appears. Now, she doesn't know that, of course. She's still overcome to recognize him. He's a gardener in her eyes. And so she's faced again with that same familiar question. Why is she weeping? But this time, the gardener, well, he follows up his predictable question with one that tells us that perhaps this isn't just an ordinary gardener. Because he asks her, not just, what are you looking for? But instead, he knows that she is looking not for something, but for someone. Whom are you looking for? One wonders how many of our lives, the confusion, the pain, the struggle, the brokenness at times, one wonders how often are those things caused because of the fact that we think we are always searching for something when really we should be searching for someone. Whom are you searching for? Mary's not yet ready to answer the question, at least not in the way the gardener is truly asking it. And so she simply mows ahead with her recorded retort. If you know where he is, please just tell me. I will take him away. And perhaps before he has, she has even finished all of her words, Jesus or gives her one word, only one word. Mary. And with that one word, her ears would allow her sight to be deceived no longer. Everything changes when the risen Savior calls your name. Even, or perhaps especially, in the midst of grief or brokenness or death. Everything changes. You see, the temptation for preachers on a morning and a day like today is to start with the glory of the resurrection. As if we've all just come in here today with a game board with lots of pieces and we just wipe them clean, wiping away every single piece of struggle every single piece of brokenness or pain. And we want to pop in here and just sing a couple happy songs. We smile at each other. We smell the lilies. And then we depart with happy hearts that are probably unchanged because they have been untouched. What I mean is, my guess is that for many of us, we come this Easter and our lives look different than they did last Easter. To be sure, for some of us, it has been a jovial year. Laughter has filled our home. Food has filled our stomachs. We have nary a care in the world. But for others, perhaps even for most, 
There have been points in this year where you have found yourself wandering in the darkness. Running, though you know not where. Searching, but not seeing. Maybe it was that you had always hoped that you were going to get into a particular school or university or get a particular job. Maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe it was the splintering of a relationship, turning an age you thought only old people turned. Maybe it's the dismantling of a dream, the death of a loved one, or something I often see which is the general malaise or lethargy from having so much and yet feeling as if you are still searching for something or someone. Maybe it's something large or maybe it's something so small and insignificant that you can't tell others and you are even embarrassed to think of it, though quite frankly, you can oftentimes think of little else. You see, the temptation that preachers have on a day like today, and most of us feel it every single year, is that because we know that there will be those in our midst who may not frequently see us, is to try to celebrate those of you into the Easter spirit so that you will think that church and Jesus are really swell. But what I have realized in this past year especially when so many of us in this church and in this community have wrestled with darkness, grief, and pain. And what I have discovered as I was looking at the full story of Easter is that the only way, make no mistake about it, the only way to celebrate the resurrection is if you are willing to be honest about sin and brokenness and grief and death. Strangely enough, oftentimes the people, the reason why we struggle to believe in the resurrection is because we have found it far too difficult to be honest about the realities of death in whatever form it may take. We run from it in the hopes that it is not true. Far too often when it comes to scripture, we have cut and pasted a few feel-good verses that we put on a sign or on our wall or on our Pinterest board, and we think we get the whole Jesus thing. We get the whole Easter thing, and we have missed out on the fact that we, all of us, have been invited into the whole Easter story by those disciples whose lives look much like ours. You see, the resurrection is not nearly as hard to imagine when you picture yourself next to those grieving and confused disciples, but it is nearly impossible to believe or hope in if you are too busy pretending that all is well even when it is not. The resurrection is not so hard to imagine when you picture yourself next to these grieving and confused disciples, but it is nearly impossible. I know I already said this. It is nearly impossible to believe or hope in 
If you are too busy running and pretending that all is well, even when it is not. The resurrection story is a grand invitation to bring all of who you are. All of your joys that you put on Facebook and all of the sorrows that you bury into your pillow. All of your laughter that you celebrate when you're out with others and all of your weeping that you only do when you are at home. All of your searching, all of your running and to join up with the disciples, with Mary, with Peter, and with the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is probably John, but is also, make no mistake about it, you. It's an invitation not to have every single question answered, not to live without any kind of pain or struggle, but to know for whom it is we are looking, the risen Savior, and to know that the risen Savior is looking for you. Easter invites us to hope and to believe that while pain and struggle are real, they are not final. While brokenness and sin and grief are all around us, they are not all that there is. While death is a foe far too great for us to overcome, it is an enemy that Jesus has already overwhelmed. And on this Easter day, even if you do not have the eyes to see, I hope that you will have the ears to hear because I want you to know that the risen Savior is calling your name. Do you hear him? He calls your name because you are the disciple whom he loves. And he invites you today into his Easter story. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. God, you have invited us in this Easter story. Not simply to celebrate and to ignore the struggles that we may have but to bring that struggle and that pain, that grief and living in the shadow of death and to offer those things to you. For we know that you have invited us on this Easter journey. May we accept that invitation even today. It's in your name we pray, amen.